Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. We are so happy to welcome Amanda Jayathissa to the podcast. She is so much more than a brilliant writer. But one thing I loved about this book is that it is the perfect embodiment of a scary book with gorgeous sentences, and I cannot wait to talk about how that was crafted. Amanda, thank you so much for being here. Oh, no, thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. I'm a little starstruck. I loved your book so much. I was like, oh. It's so fun. I really appreciate that. Oh my gosh. So tell us your story. How did you find your agent and your editor? Sure. So I had written the first draft, which was a rubbish first draft. So I'd written that quite quickly over about one and a half months. And then I spent, I think, the rest of the year editing that and making sure that it was something that I could query with. So I had finished this manuscript and I had pulled all my querying materials together and it was really interesting because I was waiting for a meeting to start and the person that I was meeting with was running late and just to kill time I decided hey I'm going to check my Twitter real quick I kept seeing this hashtag deleted and I hadn't heard of it before but I did a little bit of research and I realized I was like wow okay that is an event where you can tweet a pitch of your book and it was for diverse authors and that was really amazing for me because I hadn't heard of something like this before I was like yes finally a platform for me to try and get something out there and establish connections with an agent because we all know that the querying process is really daunting, right? Nobody likes to be stuck in the querying trenches and no one really enjoys that. So yeah, I fired out a few tweets and I was really lucky that I got a few likes, just a handful of it. But that is how I met my agent. And it was really awesome because she sent me this email and she's like, okay, I really like your story, but I have some suggestions. Are you willing to work on it with me? And I was so excited because I really was craving this sort of editorial input at that point in my writing. So it was amazing to have someone read and give me feedback. And we worked on a few rounds together and we took the book out on submission. And the coolest story is that my agent, when she first read the book and she spoke to me, she put together a list of editors that she thought would be interested in reading this. And the first name she wrote down was Jen Monroe from Berkeley, who ended up being my editor. So it worked out really well and it was very exciting. Oh, that's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Can you talk about keeping a broad emotional and aesthetic range? Because you managed to do this thing where you've got these gorgeous sentences, this really scary book. The writing is literary. It's almost upmarket. Did you purposely write gorgeous sentences for your scary book or did it just happen that way? Was there a process here? And if it is something others can learn, can you share how you did it? That is a great question. And a fantastic compliment. Thank you. I personally don't think my sentences are all that great. I still read reviews, will post little excerpts. Just this morning, I was telling my husband, I was like, there's a word there. I wish I could change this one word that was there. But I think part of being a writer is just making peace with what you've written and now you have to put it out into the world. I don't have a secret. I like to write how I speak. 
I know that is something for me that is very important because I really like first person narrations for that very reason. I just find that it, it comes to me very naturally. So what I do a lot of the time after I have figured out the plot and I figured out the general sense and the direction of the story is going to take, I actually take quite a lot of time and I mean a few weeks sometimes where I write in deep point of view of the narrator. So some of it makes its way into the story. A lot of it does not because it's rubbish. But it's almost like this stream of consciousness writing. It was me sort of rage writing after I had this unfortunate encounter at my own bank and I started writing. And a lot of that tends to, I think, lend itself to this almost sense of authenticity. And it's interesting because I get asked so often if Paloma is me. I had a friend ask me once, like, oh, should we get you a pinata for your birthday? Because you seem like you have a lot of rage that you need to let out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I wish I could give you like a magic formula. But all I do is read things over and over again and say them out loud to myself and see if it makes sense. I want to go back to what you just said about deep first person writing. So you take that and then you pull it closer to a full scene. Is that the process? So there are two things, right, that you need to be mindful of. One is how much you can rant and rave and say things that your character is feeling and also have it make sense to the plot and how the plot unfolds. Because it's very easy, especially when you have a lot of feelings and you develop a character that has a lot of thoughts and feelings and emotions to get caught up in these little rants and these little, you know, soapbox moments. So I try to be mindful of that. But to be fair, that's where good editing comes in. And I'm very grateful for my agent who usually has a read through what I write. And of course, my fabulous editor giving me that feedback and telling me when things don't fit and things sound too preachy. Well, it was interesting. I did notice that each chapter seemed to start with that. And then it just really magically floated into scene. And I was like, I've never seen it done so effortlessly. It felt like it was just written that way. And and I was like, how cool that we can get away with that, that kind of vibe. What can you tell us about effectively writing justifiably angry women? They are awesome to write, very cathartic, I would say. No, the interesting thing for me about writing Paloma was that Paloma had a lot of thoughts, right? There was a party going on in her head. There was all the language, all the snark, all the sass, all the saltiness. She was a piece of work, but all of that was in her mind. And the only reason we know that is because we as readers are given that front row seats. But to the rest of the world, she would just seem composed and she would put on her mask or her uh, adult, amiable, likable person costume and she would get about her day. And I think as women, and I think especially as women of color, we can relate to that on some level, that we have been almost socialized or trained into believing that our anger is often unjustifiable, that it's not valid, 
that we need to keep it contained. We need to keep it hidden away. We shouldn't even be feeling it in the first place. So for me, writing was this amazing, almost cathartic experience because it was the first time I think in my life that I gave myself permission to be as angry as I wanted. Because always you think of anger, even if it's anger connected to injustice, you oftentimes think of it in terms of something that should be reined in because women aren't supposed to behave that way or you won't be taken seriously. You would just be seen as emotional, but we all have these feelings and we have these thoughts. I don't think I was doing anything absolutely revolutionary. I was just writing down what I think a lot of women have to face constantly. I really love that. I especially love the relationship between Paloma and her ideas about her mother and how she basically, I don't want to say like code switched really, but she took it to a whole new level and how she would mentally be working through things, how sometimes I myself would work through things. And I also liked how you briefly touched in the book about how growing up with her white parents affected her ideals about being Sri Lankan. And I felt like that was important. Yeah, thanks. You touched on two things that really mattered to me when I was writing, because one, I think you said it perfectly, Valentino, Paloma's relationship with the ideas of her mother, right? Because there's the real relationship that happened with her mother and the ideal sort of relationship, the relationship she has in her mind. And what was really interesting to me when writing this was considering microaggressions and just trying to understand that, see, back when I lived in the Bay Area, which was over 10 years ago, we didn't necessarily have this kind of language. We didn't know what microaggressions were. We didn't know how we were supposed to feel about them. So sometimes things would be said to me and I would laugh along and it would be something that I would just brush off, but inside it would make me feel really uncomfortable. But I didn't feel that I was valid in feeling that way. So I hid it away. And I think Paloma had to deal with a lot of that where she is very appreciative towards her parents. She is very grateful for the life that they've given her. At the same time, she doesn't fit in and she knows that she doesn't fit in and who she is very largely a product of this mismatch that she's always felt like she's not accepted. And you also brought up these ideas of assimilation. And it was so interesting for me because I moved to the US when I was a little, obviously a little older than Paloma. I was I just turned 18 or I was late 17, early 18, like that age. And I was exposed to a lot of American culture growing up in Sri Lanka. I read a lot of Sweet Valley and I watched a lot of American TV and I read The Babysitter's Club. And never in any of those stories did I think that when I would finally make my way over to the US that I would be treated differently from the beautiful blonde Wakefield twins or someone else. I just thought, oh, hey, like I would go in and everyone would accept me for who I am and things would be fine. And if some of my friends have faced absolutely terrible scenarios that were violent or that made them feel unsafe. And living in the Bay Area, those were not typically the type of situations I would face, but I would instead face these little microaggressions that then made their way into the story and into Paloma's story. So it was an interesting experience of putting it all together. I think it's important the way that you said that we didn't have language for this, but when we did, we could talk about it in a way that feels justified as opposed to just why is there this amorphous feeling mm -hmm. that's going on? That's really interesting. There was a moment that is early on in the book that is so simple, but so brilliant, where she's just discovered her dead roommate and her neighbor yells, you alive. And it's almost as if the whole work 
has all these little moments that are almost like, I see what you did there. Was that happy accident? A lot of happy accidents, a lot of things that happened in editing. When you're writing, people ask you if you're a planner or a panster. I am a planner when it comes to plot. So I like to have my plot and especially those plot twists and things really heavily worked out. But the little bits of nuggets, those things find their way in. And this is why I usually like to tell other writers, especially younger writers or those just starting out, not to try and put yourself on a kind of like a schedule or a timeline. And like people are like, oh, I have to hit X many words per day. And that certainly does work for some people. And that's great. But for me, what I've realized is the more I let these ideas come a little bit more organically. And the more I sit with my work, the better it is. I know that this is audio only, but you all can see this couch at the back of my office. And I call it my thinking couch. Uh, my husband makes fun of me. We call it my sleeping couch because he comes in sometimes and he's like, you're taking a nap. I'm like, no, don't disrupt my genius. Um, <laughs> I am suddenly often taking naps, but just that process of letting things come. And I think all the moments in the book that for me feel particularly clever or feel like I really loved sneaking that little nugget in most of it I would say 90% of it is unplanned they're just happy accidents that I don't even really see as much of a big deal until like someone points it out and I'm like oh hey I did that that's cool <laughs> you did and it is cool there's a depth and there's also a sparseness to your writing, which is really interesting. You don't overwrite, like you have just enough words and not too many. And by doing that, I feel like your details really shine. There was such a different sensory experience reading San Francisco versus Sri Lanka. Talk to us about grounding both so effectively. Do you have any tips for writers out there? So for me, this was easy because I had lived in both places. So certain elements of the story were easy to ground. But that being said, the suburb that adult Paloma returns to where her parents' house is located, I never lived in a suburb or anything like that, but it really helps to visualize places. So for me, that made a whole lot of sense. It's based on a suburb where one of my very good friends in the Bay Area and where I visited often. And a big issue that I had whenever I was visiting was I could not tell the houses apart. So I couldn't tell like where to turn or where, because everything for me to my very sort of Sri Lankan mind, everything looked the same and it was a serious struggle. And of course, the parts that in Sri Lanka were not exactly based on my childhood. Of course, I didn't grow up in an orphanage or anything like that, but it was very fun for me to think back on some of my childhood experiences, especially I think the way the girls interacted with one another and then bring in certain Sri Lankan mannerisms in the way patterns of speech and things like that. Because when I'm speaking to other Sri Lankans, that is very much how I speak. So it was very fun for me to bring in those anes and those ayos and those Sri Lankan mannerisms, which was great. So it definitely helped me to write basing it on places that I knew of. That isn't to say that there are aren't writers who are wildly successful in just doing a whole lot of research and basing it in a place that they've not lived in, but have researched. So uh, there are different ways to go about it. But for me, this is what worked. Would you be willing to read your first page and talk about some of the choices that you made there? Because I think it's such a great example of a first page. Oh, okay, sure. Here we go. There is a special place in hell for incompetent customer service agents, and it's right between monsters who stick their bare feet up on airplane seats. 
and Mac explainers. Fake hair, false smiles, synthetic blazers that pull around their middles while they tell you that yes, they would love to help you and thank you for your patience. And no, sorry for the inconvenience caused, but they can't seem to find your paperwork even if it punched them square in the jaw. I inhaled. Be nice, Paloma. Be kind. My agent's name today is Bethany with badly dyed hair so red it looked like Elmo had a love child with Jessica Rabbit and two buttons undone on her much too tight polka dot polyester blouse. She smiled as if she had all the time in this crazy world, her gaze not wavering from the screen in front of her, refusing to meet my eye even when she knew she was royally messing up. She had a smear of livid coral lipstick on her teeth. It clashed hard against her hair. My hands were trembling slightly, so I made sure they went on the table in front of me. I hate how they do that when I'm angry. I hate it when I'm angry. I love this first page. I know. And it's in with your voice, too. I'm like, oh, Oh, you just, yeah. Did you do the audiobook, too? Yeah, tell us you did the audiobook. (laughs) No, no, I did not do the audiobook, but my audiobook narrator is awesome. The first time I heard her read it, I got goosebumps oh my gosh oh sort of <laughs> yeah. reminds me of the luckiest girl alive by jessica Knoll. it's very similar and just the vibe i don't know if you've read that i am jessica Knoll's biggest fan girl um yeah. it is, it is <laughs> I, I love how she writes these nuanced complex female characters again just going against the norm and the expectations and she's just She's so unapologetic in the way she writes. And she was just such a big influence on me and my writing. I love Jessica Noel. I will well, I mean, shout and, it from and, the rooftops. Yeah, <laughs> you, you've totally done that. And I love how you pull into Jessica Rabbit and that type of thing, which is like totally American and growing up American, but then not, right? And so interesting. And, <laughs> and then such a way just to pull us into how um, Paloma just navigates her world. We immediately know who this person is. We immediately know how she deals with things. And then the alcoholism that, that comes up slowly, despite the fact she's on medication. And I feel like that was handled really well, too. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much. The American references were, like I said, we consumed a lot of American popular culture growing up. That's natural. And now I think like with the internet and Netflix and things like that, you don't even feel that there is such a large gap. I don't think that was too much of a struggle for me, especially because I'd spent time in the US and then the UK and things like that. I'm very visual just as a person. Like I'm so relieved, for example, that that we have the video on right now (laughs) because it makes it so much easier for me to process. That's just how I process Mm -hmm. things. So when I'm writing, I try to pull in these strong visuals as much as I can, just because that's the way that I perceive the world. So I try to, through my writing, just give everyone a glimpse into obviously like my perceptions. So we researched you. You are such an amazing, interesting person to look up online. So I, I encourage everyone to do that. We'll post your <laughs> website along. But so you're an author as well as a serial entrepreneur, which we appreciate here at the Manuscript Academy. Can you talk to us about energy and creativity? Sure. It's interesting because I don't think the two things are very different when you think about setting up a business and writing a book. Both of them require a certain degree of creative energy and a certain degree of discipline and trying to have a deep sense of understanding of yourself first to know what works and what doesn't. It was interesting because when I was writing Paloma, I was in the middle of doing a whole lot of other things as well. We were setting up businesses. We were baking cookies. We were running various like marketing campaigns and things like that. 
And so a lot of Paloma was written in little windows of time that I could grab. And it was interesting for me because after the pandemic hit, a lot of things obviously had to take a major backseat. And we were working from home. I sadly had all this time on my hands. And I found that even though I had a whole lot of time, I actually wrote slower than when I had these little 20 minute windows in between meetings and things that I was trying to get done. It's an interesting process. And I always think it exercises different parts of your brain sometimes as well. There's, you know, logical me that has to put on my adult face and deal with things in a very practical sense. And then there is writer me that can, you know, take off this mask and dive deep into the point of view of this very angry woman, which I had so much fun doing. So the shift was really great. And to be honest, it's what really kept me going for the longest time. Can you tell us about the cookies? <laughs> Everyone wants to know about the cookies. Um, sure, I love talking about the cookies, right? The cookies were a fun, fun experiment because my husband and I had just moved back to Sri Lanka from the UK and I was craving these soft, chewy cookies that were not available for sale here. And my husband bless him, like aiming to please was like, Oh, Hey, I can make those for you. And he did. And they were like, my God, they were delicious. And I remember <laughs> I was eating them and I was like, these are so good. Like we should sell them. And then he looked at me and he's, you know what? Do you want to give that a try? And I had a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of energy. This was in my like early twenties. So I was like, yeah, sure. Let's, let's do it, babe. Let's go for it. And we rented a little space at a very popular mall in Colombo. And we were making the dough ourselves in our kitchen at home. And then we were spending our days going into the store and selling the cookies. When I think back on it now, it was such a fun time. But I know that at the time, I was so exhausted. <laughs> but it was amazing. We never thought that it would take off the way it did. Now, obviously, my role is very different. We have staff that take care of most of what's going on there. And I'm very lucky. I think I got the best job in the world, which is that of the chief taste tester (laughs) so I just like swing by whenever I want I'm like "Mm, let me try this let me try that I'm just making sure that I'm like quality checking here (laughs) but yeah we have a deal my husband and I that we don't bring the cookies home because they don't last very long they're too delicious yes that is such an amazing story thanks for sharing (laughs) could we end with some advice you have for the other writers out there Sure. I think most writers, at least if you're anything like me, we have moving goalposts, right? It starts with, hey, let's hit this word count to, oh, if only I can finish this manuscript to, if only I could find an agent, if only I could get a publishing deal to, oh, if only I could get a blurb from that person or I could get featured in this. The goalposts are always moving. I think it's really important that you stop a little bit and you take in the moment and you enjoy it because I think as people, we we write because we love it and we write because it gives us joy and we write because we have stories that are inside us that are just bursting to come out. And if at any point that starts to feel like work and you stop enjoying it, 
then, well, you might as well just do a regular desk job, right? What's the point? Like we're doing this because we love it. And discipline is important and discipline is great. And I speak to many writers who have strong, very vigorous programs where they wake up in the morning and they have a cup of coffee and they get to writing, but they do it because that's what works for them. And it's really important to find this process or this habit that works for you because everyone's different. And like I said about the moving goalposts, we all tend to want things and then I think the worst trap that we could fall into is comparing ourselves to other writers and and thinking, hey, that writer took this part, that writer finished their manuscript by doing this, or that writer found an agent by doing that. I need to follow that path. And everyone's paths can be so different. And as long as we're enjoying sort of the moments that we're in, some of them are not so enjoyable, but at least the part of writing and telling your story, you need to find joy in that because that's what kind of enables you to produce your own authentic book. That makes so much sense. We'd love to give away a couple copies of your book. Do you have a secret code word for our listeners? So if they send it to us, we can send the first two people that send it in a copy of your amazing project. Yeah. Stay sweet. Stay sweet. Stay sweet. Okay. So the first two people who email academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with stay sweet in the subject line, will get a copy of the book. Great. That's so fantastic. And thank you so much for doing that. Yeah. We want this book out there. Now that they've listened to the first page, they want your book. So (laughs) (laughs) thank you. You guys are so kind. Thank you so much. (laughs) This was really great. We really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. And not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.